podcast. In this podcast, we discuss business approaches to reduce risk, improve regulatory compliance, and accelerate public safety. So this is a pretty broad subject, and each episode will focus on specific challenges, technologies, and roles that are relevant as we seek to protect our assets, our organizations, employees, and generally to keep the bad guys away. My name is Earl Stevens, and I'm the Director of Threat and Fraud here at Alpine Consulting. I'm joined by Stan Duda, who is Alpine's founder and CEO. Uh, The next two episodes of our podcast will focus on cryptocurrencies, and specifically cryptocurrency fraud. Uh, Cryptocurrencies and their underlying blockchain technologies are just about a decade old now. Most people have heard about them. It's hard to ignore the hype, but a lot of people don't know a lot about them either. So in our experience, when you have something new and disruptive that people don't really understand, and you combine that with a lot of hype, you create an atmosphere of FOMO or fear of missing out. So people that would normally exercise caution and perform their due diligence get sucked into something they really don't understand. And that's an environment uh, that we believe is very ripe for fraud. Right up front, I'd like to disclose that I'm a fan of cryptocurrency. Um, after watching on the sidelines for a couple years, I finally opened a Coinbase account in uh, late 2015 and started buying small amounts of cryptocurrency each week. And I'll be honest, it's been a, a pretty wild ride. I thought I'd struck gold in 2017 as prices doubled, tripled, quadrupled. And then things came uh, crashing down to earth in 2018, early that year. Prices became a fraction of what they were at their peak just a year earlier. And since then, prices have risen and fallen. Uh, but the last few months, it seems like there's some renewed interest in crypto. Some of the fear of missing out or FOMO that we saw a year and a half ago is back. And people that really don't know much about crypto are, are jumping right back in. Yeah, likewise. There, there's plenty of skeptics out there who fear the cryptocurrency. Uh, they believe it's a scam and, and a threat. Some of the fear is just is justified for sure, and some of it isn't. On one hand, you know, people tend to fear what they don't understand. On the other hand, those who do understand can sometimes, of course, take advantage of that knowledge and ex- use it to exploit others. So in the next two episodes of the podcast, we'll discuss some of the real risks and, and fraud schemes that are out there and used in cryptocurrency and clear up some of the misconceptions that are out there as well. Yeah, and I there, there's plenty of good information out there, but let's talk about what cryptocurrencies really are. Again, I won't spend a whole lot of time on this because there are plenty of excellent resources on the web that can explain things a lot more eloquently than I can, but here's the gist. Most of the cryptocurrencies out there today, including Bitcoin, are decentralized digital currencies. And decentralized meaning that no one government, bank, entity, organization issues or controls the currency or the currency supply. Uh, So cryptocurrencies use digital ledgers called blockchains to keep track of transactions, account balances, etc. And copies of these digital ledgers exist in thousands of locations across the globe. So Bitcoin currently has close to 10,000 copies or nodes throughout the world. And each of these nodes keeps a record of every transaction that occurs. And the nodes communicate uh, to ensure that there's agreement or consensus that the ledger is the same across all nodes. That's well said. You know, the process of the node securely validating the transactions and arriving at consensus is also known as mining. So in the case of Bitcoin, the nodes race to validate the transactions and they solve complex crypto 
cryptographic problems that will essentially uh, allow them to, to clump multiple transactions together into a block, and that'll be added to the blockchain. So the nodes that validate the transactions solve puzzles and posts. The new block to the blockchain first is awarded some newly minted uh, cryptocurrency, essentially. Other cryptocurrencies are doing things a bit different. But throughout all cryptocurrencies, there's multiple copies of the blockchain with networks of computers running competitively uh, or collaboratively to, to ensure the integrity of the distributed ledger or the blockchain. So nodes participating in the process receive some kind of compensation uh, or benefit. Yep. And the, the last thing that, to note, you don't have to be a miner or run a cryptocurrency node in order to obtain crypto. In most parts of the world, you can buy it with whatever currency you use and store it on what's called a crypto wallet. And we'll get into this a bit deeper later on this episode and, and a lot deeper on the following episode because there are a lot of different options out there for storing and exchanging your crypto. And this is where a lot of uh, fraud occurs. So again, this is a quick and dirty explanation of crypto. We posted some resources in the comment section of our blog if you'd like to learn more. Good stuff. So now let's get into the subject of the cryptocurrency fraud. Uh, so to simplify things a little bit, we've classified fraud into a couple of categories, macro fraud or frauds that affect large groups of users, essentially, and then micro fraud, uh, schemes that are aimed really at individual users. For this episode, though, we'll, we'll focus on the macro fraud. So with macro fraud, there's really some bogus crypto or initial coin offering. One of the most simple ways to commit large scale fraud is to create a lot of hype around a soon-to-be-released cryptocurrency and then simply disappear with the money. The bait for this type of fraud uh, is promising of getting in early so that you, you essentially own the tokens before it's widely known and owned. These types of scammers use hyperbole similar to, uh, this is like buying Amazon in 1997, and they'll publish forecasts that promise some you know, really ridiculous returns. They'll basically do anything that they can to get you to send money quickly. And then when they feel they've collected enough money or when people start asking tough questions or turning up the heat on them to deliver, they just simply disappear. So one of the larger examples of this was a Vietnamese company called Modern Tech. They created two cryptocurrency companies, one called Pincoin and the other is called IFAN. I've posted a link to, to an article in our blog, and, and that'll provide all the details. But the company was able to pull out $660 million from about 32,000 investors. They closed their headquarters in Vietnam and disappeared. So even if you were able to locate the company's officers, can you imagine the headaches and the expenses that you'd have to incur to pin these guys down in court? It, it would literally be next to impossible. Not fun there at all. The next form of macro fraud that we want to talk about is what's called a 51% attack. Unlike fraudulent ICOs or initial coin offerings, which don't cost a lot to implement, 51% attacks require significant amount of time and investment. So a 51% attack occurs when a single entity is able to control more than 50% of a cryptocurrency's nodes. So in essence, if you own a majority of the nodes that are validating transactions and governing the blockchain, you can modify the transactions that are in flight at the time that you took control of the network. So for example, you could reverse those in-flight transactions and place the coins involved into your own wallet, possibly multiple times, and modify the blockchain to cover your tracks or so that it appeared that the original transactions never happened. So this kind of uh, attack is more common on lesser known cryptocurrencies, but it's happened to Ethereum Classic, 
uh, last January. So Ethereum Classic is currently ranked the 17th largest cryptocurrency in terms of market cap, which sits at around uh, 962 million. So close to a billion there. Uh, a Chinese blockchain security firm first noticed some irregular activity and reported their findings to a number of crypto exchanges, including Coinbase and Bitflyer. These exchanges immediately halted trading of, of uh, Ethereum Classic, and they started investigating. They eventually found that during the attack, the blockchain had been modified or reorganized at least 15 times, resulting in, in losses of approximately 220,000 Ethereum Classic coins, or about $1.1 million. So in this case, uh, most of the people that owned Ethereum Classic at this time uh, were made whole, and it appears that the exchanges absorbed much of uh, much of this loss. So, you know, casual investor, you and I probably wouldn't suffer much. Uh, that was very concerning. Uh, if your interest is limited to, say, the top 10 cryptocurrencies, a 51% attack may be more of a theoretical risk. But if you're trading lesser known currencies, that risk becomes a lot more plausible. So again, we've got uh, some information on these 51% attacks, a link posted in a, the blog post on our website. That's good insight. Uh, th another one is uh, exchange thefts. So hackers have been a, really been kind of attacking traditional banks for years. And now they're starting to use some of the same methods to attack the crypto, cryptocurrency exchanges. So back in early, I want to say May of this year, the cryptocurrency exchange uh, Binance, they've got uh, 41 million in Bitcoin or about 2% of its total Bitcoin holdings stolen. Uh, we don't know exactly how the attackers were able to exploit Binance's systems, but the attack was really well coordinated and involved uh, multiple seemingly independent accounts withdrawing Bitcoin at the same time. This obviously hurt Binance, uh, who had covered the losses, but as the news of the attack got out, the price of Bitcoin dropped about 4% as users feared kind of a more widespread attack and panicked to get their money out, kind of a run on the banks, so to, so to speak, approach. It's only my opinion here, but most well-coordinated thefts like this typically rely on insiders who know how internal controls, processes, and infrastructure are set up in order to succeed. Most of the cryptocurrency exchanges are less than 10 years old and are learning on the fly. It's not a knock against the crypto exchanges. Many traditional banks are more than a century old and hackers still manage to exploit them. So again, we'll, we'll include some, some more details, uh, some articles to, to reference in the blog. Yep. It's the Wild West out there. You know, that the next form of macro fraud that, that we want to look at is your traditional Ponzi scheme. Uh, so I got a personal story about this. I took an Uber ride about a month ago and about five minutes into the journey, you know, the driver asked me if I was into crypto and I said, yeah. And uh, he immediately launched into a pretty polished sales pitch. Uh, he said I could make about 8% a week by stashing my crypto with his people. Crypto doubles over the next five years, he said, uh, and he thought that was the worst case. I could be a millionaire in about five years. So who wouldn't want that? You know, I was interested in taking a look. So I, I asked him some more questions. I said, hey, you know, what's their website? And he said, uh, they really don't have a website. It's all word of mouth at this point, which was red flag number one. Uh, where are they based? He says, ah, the guy I work with has an office here in Salt Lake City, but he spends a lot of time in Panama where the other partners are located. That uh, was red flag number two. Uh, my next question is, 
what are they doing to be able to offer this type of return? And I was thinking, you know, maybe they're day trading. Maybe these guys are financial geniuses or something. Uh, I'm not sure what they're doing, but they've been paying my interest every week. So who cares? And that was like multiple red flags. You know, are they day trading? Are they, uh, you know, is it uh, fencing stolen goods? You know, is it drug money? Uh, So there was a bunch of red flags pop up at that point. So I asked him another question. What do you have to do to open an account? Uh, Nothing really. They give you a reference number and you include it in the notes when you send them the crypto. And then they email you your username and password when your account's set up. And then, you know, it's all good because you can withdraw at any time. Bunch of red flags drop right there as well. Um, Obviously, I did not invest because this was clearly a Ponzi scheme. Uh, My poor Uber driver was clearly falling for it because they'd been paying him interest over the past several months. And he was likely being compensated for signing up other people as well. So it had a multi-level marketing component. And uh, I don't know what will happen here, but I think he'll likely continue to be compensated until the scam reaches its goals and the payment will stop. A lot of times, you know, they'll, they'll wait for a big whale to put in a lot of money before they fold up the doors. And unfortunately, he's a pawn in this uh, Ponzi scheme. And he's likely to use his principles and the earnings that he's made completely. So this isn't a a one-off type of thing. You know, Ponzi schemes are all over the place, not only in in the crypto space, but Ponzi schemes and cryptocurrency are becoming so prevalent that the SEC recently issued an investor alert on crypto Ponzi schemes. And we've got a a link to that alert uh, on our blog post as well. So check that out. Sure. Another would be like uh, tumblers and mixing services. So let's say you're a cryptocurrency scammer and you've managed to defraud a bunch of people and take their crypto. You can't just go out and spend it, uh, you know, all your ill-gotten gains. The, the blockchain contains record of all transactions that have occurred. So it's only a matter of time before someone tracks you down. So how do you launder that crypto and make it clean and shiny? You use a Tumblr or a mixing service. Tumblrs are services that allow you to deposit your cryptocurrency into a pool with other deposits where it'll be shuffled a a bunch of times, kind of like a a card deck to obscure the source of the funds. Then it'll be given a brand new crypto address or a series of addresses uh, that appear clean and have no connection to you. The government is kind of starting to shut down these mixing services. In May of this year, uh, Europool shut down a service called Best Mixer, who had more than $200 million on deposit. Uh, not, a, not a small sum of money, for sure. So Europool seized Best Mixer's servers, and they're in the process of analyzing the accounts and transactions, and will share the information learned with uh, countries really outside of, uh, outside of Europe. So don't use mixing services. Even if you're not a criminal, using these services makes you look like one. The evidence that reputable wallet providers and exchanges uh, are starting to suspend the accounts of those who use mixing services. We'll, we'll include some additional references in in the blog that'll that'll definitely be helpful. So, I, I guess kind of a general advice to avoid the crypto fraud. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, take take a hard look at at the company, any company, the app or token that promises abnormally high or fast returns. That should be a huge red flag, and it's. It's a signature attribute for a Ponzi scheme. Initial coin offerings are particularly risky. Do your research. If you're technical, seek out white papers and review their their GitHub repository. If they're not transparent about the purpose of their token, 
or the technology behind it, it's a good bet that it's a scam and they're relying on sheer hype and you know some good old-fashioned snake oil salesmanship to separate you from your money, essentially. Beware of uh, FOMO or fear of missing out. You know, the cryptocurrencies are, are extremely volatile. Uh, daily price swings of, you know, 10% or, or more are the norm in the space, unfortunately. It's, it's easy to get caught up in the euphoria. And when prices are going upward, you can go on the net and find all kinds of stories by people who've done ridiculous things like maxing out their credit cards or investing their home equity in crypto just to see their investment cut in half or disappear entirely just a few short weeks or sometimes months later. And then finally, the the Wall Street Journal published a a great article in January of this year entitled Flood of Questionable Cryptocurrency Offerings. They reviewed over 3,000 cryptocurrency offerings and identified over 500 with major red flags. We've included links to that article on our blog post as well. So uh, we, we think that this article offer a great spot check and uh, for any crypto products that you're considering. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but blockchain technology is less than 10 years old and our government can't even keep up with traditional banking, which is hundreds of years old. Some people might argue thousands of years old, but we're in the Wild West phase of cryptocurrency and blockchain technologies. And just like the Wild West, this, the space is full of opportunity, but there are also unseen and unanticipated dangers around each corner. Uh, Warren Buffett cautions that you should never invest in things that you don't fully understand. Interestingly, Buffett's a huge critic of cryptocurrency. He describes it as a fraudulent gambling device. I hope he's wrong on this because we see a lot of potential in blockchain technology. But uh, Buffett's advice is sound. Before you put a penny into cryptocurrency or other blockchain technologies, learn all you can about it. Make sure that you understand it and that you're comfortable with the company and the technology and that they have real defendable roadmap for the future. Just do your research like you would any other investment and, uh, you know, do your due diligence before you put money into it. So that's a quick review of cryptocurrency fraud at the macro level. Again, we've posted a number of interesting articles and links related to the macro fraud topics and events that we've discussed today. You'll be able to find the link to the blog post in the notes accompanying this episode. So in our next episode, we'll discuss fraud types and scams aimed at individual crypto users, and we look forward to digging into that. Uh, Final note, if your enterprise is exploring blockchain technologies and are concerned about fraud, keep Alpine in mind. We're working on a number of blockchain initiatives focused on knowing your customer, knowing who the bad guys are, and generally protecting your enterprise. Also, the e-commerce side of our business is doing some work around crypto payments. So if you're interested in accepting cryptocurrency on your website, we can provide some guidance and assistance in that area as well. If you'd like to learn more about Alpine, visit our website at alpineinc.com. And uh, close up, I just want to take the uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. If you have any questions or comments about the information we've discussed in today's episode, Leave a comment on our blog or drop me an email at estevens at alpineinc.com. Have a great day. 